All right, Judges chapter 6. That's a good story to fill the time while everybody turns to Judges chapter 6, verse 11. We left off last week with an introduction uh, as to where the, the people of Israel were. And that is, they were back in hard times again. Now, they were doing good after the time of Deborah and Barak, uh, but then they began to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and this time he brought some new enemies against them. This time, the main enemy that was coming against the Israelites was the Midianites. Now, we didn't have our map last week, but the Midianites would have come from down in this area. They would have come from the south, and it said that they worked their way uh, all the way up into this area over here. And so they worked their way up from the south. They had some other people with them. The Amalekites and the Ketamite are the people from the east, some of your translations would have said. Uh, but they kind of worked their way up from the south, uh, up into Israel. And Israel was in really hard times. If you remember last week, it says that the Midianites wouldn't even let them grow crops. They couldn't, they had to hide in the caves. They were hiding out. They couldn't grow any crops. It was a really hard time. And it says Israel... Uh, was oppressed by the Midianites for seven years at the beginning of Judges chapter 6. And so we weren't introduced to Gideon in the verses last week, but we were introduced to the situation. And Israel cried out to the Lord, uh, and the Lord heard their cries, and the Lord uh, reminded them, look, you know, I was there for you, I delivered you, uh, things could be going good. And he reminded them that the reason why they're in the situation they're in is because they had turned their backs on him. Well, now they were crying out to him, and the Lord has heard their cries. Even in their disobedience, he's heard their cries, and he's going to send another judge to come and deliver them. And the judge that we are going to be introduced to tonight is Gideon. So we will pray, and then we will jump into the text. Let's pray. God, we come to you tonight. I thank you for these words, and I pray that you just would... Speak through me. I pray that you'd keep us free of distractions. I pray that you just let your Holy Spirit work in our in our heart and life, dear Lord, and that we we just we hear what your word has to say. I pray that there's something we read in your word tonight that'll help all of us, dear Lord. And if it doesn't help us tonight, I pray that you help it to come to our mind and our hearts at a time that we can use it, dear Lord. So I pray that your word would just speak to us tonight. And let me just preach and teach in a way that's going to bring you glory. I pray that you hide me behind the cross, and I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Judges chapter 6, verse 11. The angel of the Lord came, and he sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizorite. His son Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine vat in order to hide it from the Midianites. So here we are introduced to the location where all of this is taking place. And the location is Ophrah. Now, Ophrah is not on our map, but it's a little north of Jericho and a little east of Bethel. So it's kind of right here in this area along the Jordan River. And that's where Gideon was. Now, it says that in this place that the angel of the Lord came to Gideon. Now, we've already seen this phrase, the angel of the Lord, earlier on in the book. And we talked about it a little bit then that sometimes... When we see the phrase, the angel of the Lord, it appears as though that it's actually the Lord himself that is, that is there in these instances. Now, angel is a word that we see in almost all of our translations, but more accurately, the word simply means messenger. That's any time you see the word angel in the scripture, uh, it simply means messenger. Now, sometimes a messenger can be a human messenger, and sometimes it can be an angelic being. 
But when it comes to the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, there are several instances where it appears, at least to me, and you may have a different opinion there, and that's okay too, but it appears as though it's the Lord who is speaking to these people, and the, the people even acknowledge that they are speaking to the Lord in most of these instances. One that we looked at last time that's a story that some people know, most everybody may know it, uh, the story of Hagar, when Abraham took uh, uh, Sarah's, Sarah's handmaid to, to get her pregnant so that they could have a child. And whenever they had the child and Sarah was jealous and she sent him away, whenever Hagar was, was, was fleeing after Sarah sent her away, the angel of the Lord appeared to her. And after this whole uh, event takes place, you can read about it in Genesis 16, and you can see the angel of the Lord and uh, what appears to be the Lord himself speaking. Even after all these events take place, Hagar says, I have spoken with the Lord or I have seen the Lord. Even she believes that who she talked to was the Lord. We see a similar thing in another very popular story in Exodus chapter 3 with Moses in the burning bush. Here we see the angel of the Lord is there, but then after it says the angel of the Lord, the speech that takes place in Exodus chapter 3 is as if the Lord himself is speaking to Moses. And so when we see the angel of the Lord mentioned in the Old Testament, many times it appears as though it could be the Lord himself. Now, there's a theological term for that that's called a theophany. That is, God presents himself in some way before people that they can look upon him and see him. Now, we see these angels are the angel of the Lord that appears sometimes, and there is a possibility, and I believe a strong possibility, that it is God himself in some other form appearing to people. Now, there is also the possibility that it is a Christophany. Now, a Christophany would be a pre-incarnate Christ. That is, before Jesus came in the flesh, he's always existed, and that he appeared in some form to people in the Old Testament. And it could be Jesus in a pre-incarnate form that's being referred to as the angel of the Lord, or it could simply be an angel of the Lord. Uh, but based on the way that people interact with this angel, uh, there is at least a, a reasonable, uh, it's reasonable, I believe, to consider that when it says the angel of the Lord here, it could be speaking of the Lord himself, just simply based on some of the things that the angel says, which are things that only the Lord can do. And so when we see this term, the angel of the Lord, we may want to read in, into it and kind of study it a little more, whether it's here or in another spot in Scripture, uh, because it may be an angel or it could be the Lord himself. And I believe that in this instance uh, that it probably is the Lord who is speaking here uh, to Gideon directly, giving him instructions on what he is to do. Now, we see that the Lord, or the angel of the Lord here, is speaking to Gideon in Ophrah, in this place here. And it says that Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine vat in order to hide from the Midianites. Now, this makes sense based on what we read last week, because they couldn't grow any crops of their own, because the Midianites were just destroying everything. They were oppressing them. So having food to eat was very difficult. Now, to thresh wheat uh, requires that you, that you take the wheat. First, you kind of have to beat, beat the wheat, or you have to get animals to walk over it, whatever it's going to be, to separate the wheat from the chaff. You may have heard those terms or read them in the Scripture before. Some of you may even be familiar with this process hands-on. But you have to separate the wheat from the chaff, and then the way that that's done once the beating has taken place is that you kind of throw the wheat and the chaff up into the air, but the wheat is heavy enough that it falls back down into the bowl or the bucket, whatever you have. 
but the chaff blows away. And so this process is usually done in an open area, especially in those times, because they couldn't just plug in a fan and blow it. They had to go somewhere where there was wind. So up on a high place, up on a hill, uh, might be a logical place to go. And they would have to go somewhere where there was wind so that they could kind of toss up the wheat and the chaff, and the wheat would fall and the chaff would blow away. And that's what Jesus uses that illustration in the Old Testament. Uh, speaking of those who are not his, uh, those are the chaff, those who will be burned up. You don't keep what's worthless. You only keep the good stuff. Now, we as Christians are the wheat. And that's why we see that illustration in the Old Testament. Now, Gideon could not uh, do what was probably typically done, and that is go to a big open place where there would be big gusts of winds. Why? Because he had to hide from the Midianites. And so he did it in an unlikely place. That is, he did it in a wine vat. So instead of going in the open or somewhere up high, he was somewhere down low because a wine vat was probably dug into the ground or it was in the rocks, wherever they could have found, and that's where the wine would have been pressed at. And so you may have even seen wine vats before. Uh, probably all of us have seen, at least on TV, those wine vats with all the, with all the grapes or, or, or whatever it is they put in there. And you see sometimes people stepping on them with their feet. Sometimes it's machines just pressing all of these grapes to get the wine, to get the juice out of there. And that's what a wine vat is. And so this is where Gideon was. Gideon was working in the wine vat because he was trying to keep on the down low, which would not have been the ideal place to, to separate the wheat from the chaff. But this kind of tells us exactly how bad things were. He was kind of hiding out to be safe from the Midianites. And that's what we see here in verse 11. Now, moving on to verse 12. Verse 12. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, this is an interesting verse because it says here that the Lord is with Gideon, so he's letting Gideon know that the Lord is with him, and the Lord refers to him as a mighty warrior, someone who is strong here. Now, some commentators would say that the Lord is being, he's just being sarcastic here. He's being sarcastic. Surely Gideon couldn't be a mighty warrior because he's hiding out. He's not even uh, threshing the wheat in the wide open. Uh, I don't hold to that opinion, and maybe you, you see that in there. Uh, but another view that I think seems more likely here is that maybe Gideon really was a mighty warrior. But Gideon wasn't an idiot when all the Midianites were there. If Gideon would have done something in public that would have drawn attention to him, it probably wouldn't have ended good for him. So I believe it's very possible that he could be a mighty warrior or a strong person and still be wise enough to know that he needed to uh, make his food or take care of his crops in secret so that the Midianites wouldn't come and attack. We don't know anything about Gideon's past. Uh, it could be that he has been a mighty warrior in the past, or it could simply be that even if he hasn't done anything mighty in the past, that God sees in him the abilities to be a mighty warrior, to be one who stands for the Lord. And so it could be, A, that Gideon is a mighty warrior already, or two, that God is, is encouraging him and letting him know he's planting that seed, saying, okay, you are the one I'm going to use. I'm going to be with you, and you're going to be a mighty warrior. And so this angel of the Lord appears to Gideon, and that's what he tells him. Moving on to verse 13. Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? 
And where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? They said, Hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. So Gideon has a response there that may be similar to what our response is sometimes. Gideon's living in the midst of all of this oppression under the Midianites, and God is coming to him, and God says, I'm with you. And Gideon says, how can this be? How can you be with us, but yet all of these bad things still be going on? We've heard the stories of our ancestors, of all the great things that you did, of all the miracles that taken place. But here we are oppressed by our enemies. How can you say that you are with us, but yet times still be bad? Now, even though Israel had abandoned the Lord, the Lord had not completely abandoned them and forgotten about them. Even though he wasn't intervening to deliver them in every circumstance because they had turned from him, it wasn't that he had just pushed them to the side forever. He was still there for them. The problem was not God. The problem was them. God allowed them to go through these things so that they would call out to him and that they would come back to him. Now, we may have the same response when we hear preachers say or we read devotions or we read, we, we read the word and we see these promises that God's going to take care of us and God's going to be with us and he's going to give us strength, but yet we see all of these bad things that are occurring in our life. And we may have the same question. Well, how, how could this be? How can you say, God, that you're with us, but these things occur? Well, sometimes God doesn't act in the way that we think or we want him to act. Sometimes he does things at different times than we would like him to do things. In the case of the Israelites, he was trying to build their faith and draw them closer to him, I believe, so that they would trust him, so that they would see how bad it could be, but that they would know how good he was when he delivered them. And so the fact that he says he's with them and things are still bad may be similar to what we talked about Sunday with Jonah, when Jonah said, and I remember the Lord. Now, Jonah had not forgotten the Lord, but he simply was not living for the Lord. The same could be said of God and Noah. God used the same language in Genesis chapter 8, where God said, and I remembered Noah. Now, had God forgotten Noah? Well, absolutely not. God doesn't have amnesia. He didn't forget who Noah was. He was simply saying, look, even though things have been bad throughout this flood, I have not forgotten. I remembered Noah, and as a result of that, I'm going to take care of him. God was there through all that went on in Noah's life and in Jonah's life. Uh, even though uh, those bad things occurred, uh, he was still there. But the language that's used, I remembered, may make us think that they had been forgotten and God wasn't there. And the same may be said of this, where God says, look, I am with you. Even though uh, Gideon may not have understood it that way, or it didn't make sense to him, he said, well, where are you if you're with us? Why aren't you doing something? Now, let's see the response of the Lord in verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the power of Midian. Am I not sending you? So the Lord doesn't even really respond to his question. He doesn't even really respond to what uh, Gideon had just said. He just said, uh, go in the strength you have and deliver Israel. So he's saying, look, I'm calling you. Am I not calling you? Are you not the one who is going to deliver Israel? Look, you are the one who has the strength. You're the one that I am going to use. Now, Gideon probably had known about some of these judges in the past. It would uh, seem to reason that he had, even though it may have been years before he came onto the scene here. He probably knew about these other deliverers that Israel had. And here God is saying, you are going to be the next one. You are going to be the next deliverer 
for Israel. Verse 15. He said to him, Please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. But I will be with you, the Lord said to him. You will strike Midian down as if it were one man. Now, here we see Gideon trying to kind of play the, uh, well, I'm not good enough to do this card. Now, this is not uncommon because we saw a similar thing with Moses. This story sounds a lot like what happened with Moses when the Lord appeared to him and said, Look, I'm going to send you back to Egypt so that you can deliver my people. And Moses began to make excuses. Well, I can't go, dear Lord. I'm not an eloquent speaker. And Gideon's here saying, Look, who am I to go? I'm weak. I'm not powerful. He says, Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh. And so in the whole tribe of Manasseh, he's saying that his family is the weakest. Now this fits right along with what God typically does in the Bible. He almost always uses the most unlikely person. He uses the weakest person. He uses what, if we can use the word nobody, that might be a good, a good way for us to describe it, people that are kind of under the radar, people that don't maybe have or, or think they have any strength whatsoever, as did Gideon and maybe some of you and I, but, but, but oddly enough, God uses the people who none of us would probably ever pick. It was the same way with King David uh, when Samuel went to pick uh, the king from Jesse's son. And he picked everybody but David. He went down the list from the best-looking strongest, and he picked them all. And he said, well, none of these are the king. And Jesse said, well, I got one more. And it was little old rinky-dink David, the shepherd, the young one. And lo and behold, that's who the Lord wanted to use. Now, we see the Lord use people that we wouldn't think are fit for the job all throughout Scripture. And it may be that in your life that you don't think you're fit for a job that maybe God is calling you to. And we may be just like Gideon and say, Who am I, God? I'm too weak. I'm not smart. I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm too slow. I'm too whatever it may be. We can come up with all these excuses but at the end of the day, maybe sometimes God is saying to us just what he said to Gideon. Look, are, are you not the one that I've called to do what I've called you to do? Are you not the one that I'm going to send here or send there or to send to this person or to do this ministry or to do that ministry? Are you not the one that I'm calling? What excuse can we make to the Lord when we feel that he is calling us to do something? Well, I would say that there is no excuse that we could make to the Lord. Even though Gideon tried, oh, I'm the weakest of the tribe of Manasseh. Well, it didn't make any difference. Now, Manasseh uh, would have been located right here in this area. Manasseh was kind of right here in this little area, and it had one little dip that dipped down right about where Ophrah was. And Manasseh also had some land on this side of the Jordan River. Whenever they went into the Promised Land, half of the tribe of Manasseh said, we want to stay on this side. And so half stayed up here, and half went over here, and they had one little strip. And in this little strip, that's where Gideon was at Ophrah. And so of that tribe of Manasseh, of all those people living on that side, the west side of the Jordan, uh, Gideon, it says he was the, the weakest. His family was the weakest of the group. Now, I don't know if that was true or if he was just trying to make excuses. But God was not giving in and putting up with any of his excuses because he said, I will be with you. Now, when we make excuses and say, I'm not strong enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, those things may very well be true. We may not be strong enough or smart enough or good looking enough or anything else enough. But what makes somebody fit for a job of the Lord is that the Lord is with them. That's the difference maker. 
It's not that we are doing anything on our own. What makes us successful when we do things for the Lord is the Lord being with us, not what we do on our own. What made Israel successful when they went into the promised land was not the strength of their armies and their own abilities. What made Israel unstoppable when they went into the promised land was that the Lord was with them. And if the Lord was with them and they were successful, and the Lord is with Gideon and he's going to be successful, then guess what's going to happen to us? If the Lord calls us somewhere, guess what? He's going to be with us. And guess what? We are going to be successful if we are obedient to him. All right, let's read on verse 17. Then he said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, give me a sign that you are speaking with me. Please do not leave this place until I return to you. Let me bring my gift and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. So Gideon went and prepared a young goat and leavened bread from a half a bushel of flour. He placed the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot. He brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat with the unleavened bread, put it on this stone, and pour the broth on it. And he did so. The angel of the Lord extended the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire came up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. And so Gideon still wasn't too sure about this angel of the Lord, this being that was speaking to him. And he said, look, I need a sign that it's you. I need some way to know that it's you. Will you hang out here until I go get this gift for you? Now, I don't know what made Gideon think that he needed to get this gift or this was a gift that would be acceptable to this angel of the Lord or the Lord himself. But for whatever reason, he thought that he needed to make some unleavened bread. He needed to go get a goat, and so he did these things. He brought back a, a pot of broth, and when he comes before the angel of the Lord here, the angel of the Lord says, put this on the rock. And when he does, the staff in the angel's hand touches it, and it is consumed with fire. It goes up. Now, when Gideon sees this, this is probably a pretty impressive thing. He gets a sign that he's looking for. He wants to make sure that this is from the Lord. Now, one way we could look at that is, well, he should have had more faith and he shouldn't doubt. He should have just listened to what he said. And that is true. Perhaps in some sense that's true. In another sense, we make it say, well, Gideon was smart by doing this. He wanted to make sure this was from the Lord, that he was not being deceived by some kind of evil spirit that was coming upon him. Now, I don't know uh, if that was in his mind in any way, or maybe his faith was just weak, but he was testing to make sure that this was of the Lord. And that's not necessarily a bad thing for us to do when we hear things presented to us. Now, I've never had an angel of the Lord or the Lord appear to me, and maybe some of you had, but I would venture to say that that's probably a pretty rare thing. I won't say that it does not occur. I believe it probably does still occur. But even in the Old Testament, it's a pretty rare thing. It covers hundreds of years, and we don't see that many instances of the Lord appearing to people. And so I believe he probably still does it, but it's probably just as rare today uh, as it was then. But even still, we are presented with, with teachings sometimes that may seem strange to us. <coughs> they may seem strange to us because they've nev we've never heard them, and maybe they're right. Or they may seem strange to us because they are indeed wrong, and so we need to test what we hear. We need to test what we read. Sometimes even when we read God's Word, we may interpret it one way, and it may be the wrong way. 
And maybe as we study more into God's Word, God's Word will correct us and show us the true meaning uh, behind the Word and say, ah, you were wrong in that, and that's not the right way to look at that. And so whenever we hear God's Word preached or taught to us, we always need to go, we need to pray, and we need to test what's there like the Bereans did in the book of Acts. We want to test what's presented to us to see if it's really from the Lord. All right, is this really what God's Word says? Is this really how I need to be living my life? Now, whether it was right or wrong for Gideon to do this, I don't know. But he was seeking a sign to make sure it was the Lord so he could follow him. And indeed, he got the sign from the angel when the fire came and consumed the gift that Gideon had brought. Let's read a little further in verse 20. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat with the unleavened bread, put it on this stone. Oh wait, I'm sorry. Wrong, wrong section. Back up. Verse 22. Or skip down. Verse 22. When Gideon realized that he was, that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, Oh no, Lord God, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace to you. Don't be afraid, for you will not die. Now this is an interesting passage because when Gideon realizes that this is the angel of the Lord, there is a fear that comes upon him. And he says, Oh no, Lord God, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Now we know that the scripture says nobody can see God and live. Now if Gideon thought this was the Lord, that would explain the fear that he had here. He probably would have known about Moses in the event where Moses wanted to see the Lord. And the Lord said, look, you can't see me and live, but I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock and you can see my back as I pass by. Now, he probably was familiar with that very passage. And that's probably why he said, oh, no, Lord God, I've seen your angel. I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. There was a fear there and that fear probably was for his life. And I believe that the verse after that may explain that to us when it says the Lord said to him, Peace to you, don't be afraid, you will not die. Now, God can be saying here, you will not die because you've seen the face of the Lord. Or maybe he's saying, uh, you will not die in, in that, look, I've called you to go and be the judge for me and be the deliverer, so don't be afraid, you will not die. He could be saying that based on everything he had said before, but it seems more likely in the context that verse 23 goes with verse 22 here. And so if that's the case, uh, the fear that Gideon felt here, it seems was more likely a fear that he was going to die from seeing the Lord face to face. And the Lord says, no, peace be to you. You're not going to die because of this. So in verse 24, verse 24, <coughs> So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it Yahweh Shalom. It is an Ophrah of the Abyssalites until today. Now, Yahweh Shalom means uh, the Lord is peace. And so Gideon had listened to what the Lord had to say, and he was ready to go serve him. Now, we may be in a similar situation as Gideon sometimes. That is, there may be times that God calls us to things that look greater than we can accomplish. Uh, you can probably imagine at least a little bit in our mind how Gideon must have felt. The Midianites and the Amalekites and the Ketamites and all those that were against them, it said in the text last week that they came in with, with camels and tents and they were like locusts. There was a huge, just a huge bunch of these enemies that were coming against them. And now Gideon, God is saying, I'm going to use you and you're going you're gonna to knock them down as if they're one man. 
God's saying, look, don't, don't consider the big size of them that's, the, that's around you, but look at them as one man. It's one man against one man. It's you against them, and I'm going to be with you to give you the strength. Now, there may be things in your life that you're facing now, or maybe you've faced in the past, or maybe we'll face in the future. Things that look bigger than you are. Enemies and obstacles and situations that you think, I'll never get through this. There may be things that God has called you to. People that he's called you to witness to. Things that he's called you to do. Mission trips that he wants you to go on that are scary. Opportunities that may be local, whatever it may be. There are lots of things that God may call us to do that may seem too big for us or too scary for us. Or we may think that we're not qualified. Oh, I'm just a weak little person. I'm just an old country person from Liberty, Mississippi. God, what can I do? Well, I'll tell you what you can do. You can do anything God wants you to do. That's it. You can do anything that God wants you to do. So whatever God calls you to do, He's calling you to do it because He knows you can do it. There may be strength and power in you and an ability to carry out a task that you don't even realize is there. You may be a mighty warrior and not even know it, but there may come a day that God calls you and says, all right, brother, all right, sister, all right, child of mine, I want you to do this. I want you to go here. I want you to go there. And when God calls us, let us be ready to go. Let us say, all right, God, I know I'm not strong enough on my own, but God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that your strength is going to get me through this situation to do whatever it is you call me to do. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you tonight, and I thank you for these words, and I pray that we would, uh, God, not be overwhelmed by our situations, but call out to you and trust you in the midst of our situations, dear Lord. I pray that you would help us to, to test your word and make sure uh, what's in there is, is what it says, dear Lord, to test things that we hear, dear Lord, that we know that they're from you. And I pray, God, that we would live for you and be obedient to you and help us to have discernment, to know what's what, dear Lord God. And no matter how bad our circumstances may be or how tough things ahead of us may look, dear Lord, let us trust in you through it all to know that you'll give us the strength to handle anything that comes our way and to do anything that you send us to do, dear Lord. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.